We are proud to partner with MyFlex Learning. MyFlex Learning is a scheduling platform that helps middle and high schools meet the individual needs of all students. Students can easily create and manage time for flex blocks, wind time, activity periods, RTI, counselor and teacher appointments, and so much more. Even my favorite, Synergy Time. And with its built-in accountability tool and reporting features, MyFlex Learning solves your challenges around getting kids where they need to be and understanding how flex time is spent. Make flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE. This B Podcast Network show is presented by IXL. IXL's all-inclusive online teaching and learning platform simplifies edtech needs and accelerates achievement in 95 of the top 100 U.S. school districts. IXL delivers personalized learning across a comprehensive pre-K-12 curriculum, including math, language arts, science, and social studies, and helps you assess student performance through actionable, real-time insights at every level of your school or district. This one solution performs work that typically requires dozens of tools. Want to find out why so many leading districts trust IXL? Visit IXL.com BE. That's IXL.com slash B-E. Welcome to Transformative Principle, where you learn how to be a leader and not just a manager of a to-do list. I'm your host, Jethro Jones. You can find me on Twitter at Jethro Jones. Your to-do list is a hungry monster that is never satisfied. For the last year and a half, I've helped principals get awards, get promoted, and find the time to do the work that really matters. I recently opened a new mastermind slot. Schedule a call with me and let's overcome the stressed and isolated principal position together. Go to the show notes for this episode at transformativeprincipal.org and click schedule a call with Jethro. Welcome to this special episode of Transformative Principal. I am excited to have Jeff Zuhl and Anthony McConnell on the podcast today, and we're going to talk about their book, The Principled Principal. 10 Principles for Leading Exceptional Schools. Welcome, Anthony, and welcome, Jeff. So grateful to have you both here. Jethro, thank you. We're, we're, we're grateful that you invited us. Thanks so much for the time today. Thanks for having us. All right. You are very welcome, and I'm excited to talk about this. But before we get started, I would just like to hear a little bit about uh, your backstory so that people know who you both are in case they haven't had the pleasure yet. And so, uh, Jeff, why don't you go ahead and and start telling us a little bit about your experience in history. Sure. Uh, Jethro, you know, I, I taught for a long time. I taught for 18 years. I taught elementary school, middle school, and high school. I always say that one unique thing about me, perhaps, is my first teaching job was first grade. And my 18th year of teaching, my last teaching year was uh, teaching 12th grade English. So I did a little bit of everything as a teacher and then kind of followed that as an administrator, worked at all three levels. And actually retired from full-time uh, public school service last uh, June 30th uh, as assistant superintendent for Deerfield. Uh, and then Anthony replaced me in that role, which is kind of nice uh, to have a friend that you respect replace you in that role. But in addition to my 35 years in public education, I do enjoy writing and, and speaking and blogging and, and doing all those kinds of things, staying connected with educators around the world to keep me from uh, getting, getting stale and getting old and keep me growing each day. That's great. Thanks, Jeff. And uh, Anthony, 
Can you share a little bit about your history? Sure. Well, I was a, a high school social studies teacher and uh, taught uh, all levels of social studies, all grades and all subjects. I uh, ended up getting my master's degree in uh, English language learning and uh, ended up kind of helping create a program for refugee students and language learners at the high school that I was at. Then I came to Deerfield as the assistant principal. I've been there five years, was principal at Kipling Elementary School, followed Jeff as the assistant superintendent for teaching and learning and innovation. And July 1, I will become superintendent in Deerfield Public Schools. And uh, this is my first book. It was great to collaborate on it with Jeff, who's a friend of mine and uh, has been a mentor of mine and, and has a lot of experience writing and speaking. So it was an honor to be part of this process with him. Yeah, that's great. And so five years from assistant principal to superintendent, is, did I understand that right? Yes. Yep, that's correct. That's- the bar was so low at the, at the <laughs> superintendent job. The guy he followed was such a loser that he did that for half a year and did such great work uh, that they named him superintendent, Jethro. <laughs> if the bar is low and, and you're following up people like Jeff, then, you know, there's got to be something there. And I think what's really there is a lot of times people come into new leadership positions in schools and they think that everything that was done before them was total junk. And they're the saviors that are coming to clean everything up. And there's got to be something where you guys, Jeff, you set things up and made it possible for him to step in and be successful. And Anthony, you had to bring something to the table also. Can you talk a little bit about that transition of going from, you know, taking over Jeff's role and the things that he did to help you be successful right from the beginning? Well, for me, uh, you know, and Jeff and I, like we said, go back a long way. So one of the things I think about taking over that role for Jeff is that our sort of, I think, our views and philosophies on you know, education and, and how best to, to, to do things for kids and for teachers is, is pretty in line. And so we had, Jeff had begun some initiatives like uh, trying to get all of the district uh, to a, a standards-based uh, reporting and standards-based learning going beyond just grading and reporting, but actually transforming to standards-based learning, uh, helping the district go kind of one-to-one and uh, lots of great things like that. So one of the things about you know, being internal and filling that role, but also being part of those processes with Jeff is that uh, I've been part of those developments for five years or for four years that he was there. And so it, it's nice to kind of be engaged in it as part of that process. The other thing that I would say that made it, you know, kind of easy as well, is just sort of as a leadership uh, opportunity is, is as assistant superintendent. And Jeff was always, um, you know, very willing to allow principals and teachers and other people to be involved in leadership opportunities in the district. So everybody had opportunities to be involved in all the different things that we were doing, which, you know, made it all the easier for me when I moved into the assistant superintendent role. Yeah. And, and Jeff, do you want to talk a little bit about the things that, that you did to help? What's the word? mentor or uh, help prepare him for stepping into that role? Sure. You know, Jethro, it's funny. We were in a district uh, previous to Deerfield for one year only, but Anthony at that time was a was a high school teacher, at least first semester. And then second semester, it was a district that struggled a little bit financially, and we didn't have tons of money available for administrators, but they did allow me to hire Anthony as a teacher on special assignment for second semester. And it was during that semester that we first really connected as, you know, collaborators. And, uh, you know, 
he just helped so much in that role that I was excited when he was willing to move and relocate to Deerfield as an assistant principal. And when he became principal, Jethro, in our, in our district in Deerfield, it was kind of neat. You know, we've got this little small district office, and right across the parking lot was the school that Anthony was principal at. So I would often walk over to his school just to see kids and teachers, but also to visit with him. And he would, he would often walk across the parking lot at the end of the day to visit with me. And uh, there were so many things we were tackling when we first got there. We arrived to the district at the same time. And a third really great friend of ours, Mike Lubefeld, came at the same time, too, as the superintendent. And so really, the three of us collaborated on a number of initiatives. But I, I think the first one, honestly, Anthony, was, you know, and you touched on standards-based learning, but it kind of dovetailed with the time that Common Core was coming into play. So we were really right. doing a lot to get ready for uh, the transition to Common Core and all the Common Core-aligned assessments. And and we do believe in Deerfield, and I believe personally as an educator, Jethro, we and we write about this in the book a little bit. I believe very strongly in in always being innovative and always trying to get better and always trying to see are there better ways to do things that are not just new, but also better, truly innovative. At the same time, I do believe that we should be teaching to standards. And I think Anthony shares that view and we feel passionately about both. It's not an either or. Uh, being innovative is very important to us and we think we're an innovative school district. But, but making sure that we're held accountable for teaching to standards is important to us. And, and we feel we've done that, too, as leaders and educators in the district. So, But we, we, we worked closely together for, for those four years that we were in Deerfield and the one year prior to that. And, and I don't know, it was as much me mentoring him as just the two of us collaborating with each other and mentoring each other. Yeah, and that collaboration really shows through in your book. You have 30 different principals who gave comments on the 10 principles that you talk about in the book. I was one of those. Thank you so much for that opportunity. And that collaboration is just so powerful. And oftentimes we recognize that being a principal or a school leader is an isolating position that you feel alone. And you really have to go out of your way to find, to make sure that you have that collaboration with other people. And, you know, one of the things that I, that I provide is a mastermind with other people, other principals to help them escape that isolation. And I've seen tremendous growth in those principals when, when they do that, because sometimes there's not somebody in your district that you can have that relationship with. And so I want to talk just a little bit about some of the things in your book. You know, we could, we could go through all 10 of these principles, but I think it's better for you listener to go out and buy this book and read through them all yourself. And, you know, I just want to touch on a couple of them. The one that I'm, that's one of my favorites is the harmony principle. And I haven't really heard it described like that. But when you think of harmony, that sounds like a, a great way to describe it. And so can you talk a little bit about the harmony principle first and, and what that means? Yeah. I, one of the things that Jeff and I had talked about with this on this principle specifically was we just kind of wanted to to discuss and and kind of bring to the forefront that this we cuz we've seen leaders on on both ends of this right that that 
there are some people who are better and they thrive better in sort of chaos and in a, a chaotic environment. Maybe that's when they're at their best. And, and that may be when they feel they're at their best, but it's probably not when their school is at their best. And so we had a lot of discussions about the principal really being somebody who, you know, was the keel for the school. Like they really brought balance to it. And, and if, like as Todd Whitaker says, if the principal catches a cold, you know, the whole school does. This idea that the principal is really the key factor to having balance and harmony and peace in the school. And if they're heightened about every decision, if they're heightened about every new initiative that the state puts out, if they're heightened about everything that comes from the district office, then their staff's going to be that way as well. Uh, they're going to follow suit. And, and over time, that's going to erode the, the culture of the school. Yeah, absolutely. Speaking of the culture, when I became an assistant principal, the culture of the school was that we had a behavior unit in the school of kids with uh, emotional disturbances who were, you know, just really struggling. And there was constantly crisis and chaos and emergencies with them. Sometimes they were violent. They were very challenging. It was really tough. But when I came in, the the culture was the assistant principal like runs to that problem whenever there's a problem. And my principal and I talked about it and we're like, you know what, we are not going to run to anything and we are going to stay calm and we are going to be the calming presence when we come in. And it was amazing how quickly that culture changed when we decided that we were going to not run after kids. We also decided that we were not going to chase kids, that we would make sure kids were safe, but we would not chase after them and try to catch them. Because that quickly turns into a game at an elementary school. And, and that's exactly what happened. And, you know, I just, I just saw how powerful that was in my, in my own experience and have maintained that rule ever since that if I'm ever the one who's amped up, then there's going to be more problems <laughs> than I can probably solve. Jeff, anything to add there? No, just that, you know, some of these things we write about, at least speaking only for me, I learned by not doing it, right? Um, early on in my career as an assistant principal, um, you know, we talk about stay calm and lead on. I didn't always stay calm at first, and that was a mistake. So I learned about this by making mistakes in that area. And I, and I think, honestly, Jethro, it, it came from a good place. I would An example would be I would have a teacher come to me, and she was very elevated or he was very elevated about a student misbehaving. And because I so desperately wanted to support that teacher and be a supporter of teachers, I sort of became equally elevated with the student's misbehaving. And it took me a while, honestly, to understand that that was sort of the very worst thing I could do for the teacher and me and most importantly, the student. So I certainly need to support that teacher still. But the way to support that teacher is not by becoming equally elevated about a student's misbehavior. It's by listening carefully, understanding and then um, being empathetic, but also then dealing with it in a calm professional and holding the student accountable for behaving properly but uh, not sharing in the uh, chaotic elevation of the moment there. So that's something I had to learn over time, and I think it's so important. I think our best administrators, and, and again, like you say, we called on some great principals across the country, including yourself, to weigh in on each one of these. But uh, the best administrators I know are able to be the calmest person in the room in times of crisis. Yeah, that is that is so powerful. So when you talk about that calmest person in the room, there are, like one aspect of that is teachers who are elevated or students who are elevated. And that seems, you know, 
fairly easy. If you're not emotionally involved, it's pretty easy to not get elevated by that. But there are other times where you are emotionally involved or when you're being personally attacked by a parent or a teacher or a student or whatever, verbally or physically, how do you stay calm in those situations when inside you are screaming and going crazy about what's happening? Yeah, that's a, that's a great question. It's hard, right? I think some of it comes like anything else we do in our lives. Some of it comes with practice, frankly. Uh, I got better at that as time went on. I can't speak for Anthony, but but the very first difficult parent conversation I had uh, where the parent was very elevated. Um, again, I don't think I handled that as well as I did after doing it 10 or 20 or 30 times. But part of it is to practice. Part of it is simply to focus on the real issue. Because no matter what the elevation is, parent, teacher, it's always about a student. And the parent who comes in who's very upset with me for whatever reason, I have to be empathetic again. This word empathy is so important to great principles, I think. And I have to understand that this parent only cares about one person and probably should only care about one person, and that is his or her son or daughter. And to keep that in mind, no matter how... I might feel I'm being mistreated. That's their child. That's the most important person in the world to them. Just like the most important person in my life is my daughter. And I just have to keep that in mind. I have to remind the teachers that's that's where they're coming from. They may be lashing out at us. They may be using vulgar language. They may be yelling. But we just have to remember why they're doing this ultimately. It's because they care desperately about their child. And uh, we've just got to keep coming back to that and, and focusing on the exact problem and what solutions we can come to together to solve that problem. Yeah. When you say it like this, it sounds really easy. Yeah. We just focus on the problem. How do we figure out what that problem is? Because there's, you know, in any given situation, people don't come and just say, here's my problem. Here's what a good solution would look like. How do you figure that out in the heat of the moment when people are elevated and escalated? Well, I think one of the things that, I mean, this is another thing that I think it, it takes some some failure at to, to get. So how do you get to that? I think it comes down to being, you know, I think everything Jeff said was spot on, particularly about the piece of empathy, understanding where other people are coming from and that's all they care about. And just asking them, what can I do to make this situation better? You know, what what is the ideal outcome you would have in this situation, whatever you may be upset about? One of the things I think is important is, you know, getting to the point where you go into some of those difficult conversations, whether it's with a parent or a staff member, and not having the answer uh, to the problem and the solution already solved in your head, but being willing to uh, let that develop through the course of the conversation and through a course of actively and in, intently listening to the other person. I think you alluded to this, Anthony, but my fra- favorite way to phrase that question real succinctly is, how can I help? Exactly. How can I help? And and just I think that's a great leadership question to pose probably several times a day. How can I help? And just listen to what the answer is to that question. And and I think that will bring us or start us on the path to a solution. When the leader of the school says, How can I help? To the student who's crying, to the teacher who's elevated, to the parent who's angry, how can I help? And then let's see where that takes us, the answer to that question. Yeah, I think I think that is a great question and a great way to just start to deal with whatever is going on. 
when you do ask that question, the answers that come back sometimes are appropriate, sometimes impossible, sometimes totally out of the realm of our, you know, our possibility. What's a follow-up question after they give an answer that, you know, may be something that we can't do? How do you deflect or, you know, get back on course with things that we can actually help with when the answer that comes back is something out of our control or not appropriate or not possible? You know, it's hard without getting into a specific situation, uh, Jethro, because everyone is so unique. But I would start by saying I honestly believe that question isn't asked that simply often enough. And I, and I would venture to say if it is, you'll get some answers that are that lead you to a path to a solution and the person will give you a reasonable answer. Having said that, you're right. Sometimes I'll say you can help me by, you know, putting my child in the gifted program that you said you're not going to. And now I've got to get back to and you're right, I'm not going to do that. So here's some things I can do though. So that's that's actually a concrete example that happened to Anthony and me a couple of times in our district. We've got a very a very invested parent community and a lot of highly affluent and, and, and high academic performers and there's a kind of a gifted program and everybody wanted to be in the gifted program and obviously as long as we had an exclusive program, not everybody was going to get in there. So you have to answer that honestly. Okay, I, that's not going to happen, and here's why it won't happen. And you have to defend your why and explain the why and talk about fairness to the, every student and parent who comes in your office. But here's what we can do instead, and, and just lay out a very carefully detailed answers to how we're going to still meet the needs of that child. And then we'll revisit this at point A, B, C, D, or whenever. But again, trying to keep calm in that answer, try to listen throughout and not just be the talker, but be the listener and, and see, again, what the best solution is for that child. And, you know, I would assume, you know, we always think we are doing what's best for kids, right? And so the answer is going to be honest and sincere. And you sh if you can't give an honest and sincere answer to that, then maybe you need to think about about the parents' perspective even more and say, maybe, maybe we should do this then. I think one of the things like that, that question's interesting because when you're, if you have a difficult conversation, regardless of who it's with, you know, you want to leave the conversation with a solution that both sides are good with, but what you have to leave the conversation with is integrity. And I think that, that when you have those situations where you may not agree what you want to make sure is that the other people sort of understand why you're not in agreement and and that you may have some situations where the conversation ends and you're not in agreement and but what goes away is that the person feels like you've listened to them you've taken what they've said into consideration they understand the reasons why you're not giving them the solution they want and they understand your reasoning for doing for making the decision you've made and you know I think that that continues to help bolster and support a personal relationship there when you may not disagree on the actual situation or the outcomes of a specific incident. Yeah, I think that that is that is great advice. And I love that idea of having to leave the conversation with integrity. And if you feel like you have to lie or feel like you have to not be honest with the person, then going back to what Jeff said, you really need to reexamine what your policy is and what your practice is. And if that really is the thing that you should be, should be doing, you know, one of the areas where when I first go to a school, cause I've been an administrator at three different schools. Now, the thing that I hear the most from parents is they want to know what happens to 
the other kid and when their kids are involved in something. And that's where, you know, my, my integrity is that I'm not going to talk to you about somebody else's child. And there's just no way that we're going to have that conversation. I'm going to talk to you about your child and I'm going to make sure that you know that I deal with every situation that comes before me and that I do my best to have integrity through that. And that piece is sometimes really challenging because, you know, sometimes I want to say, yes, I'm going to suspend or punish that kid because what they did was really wrong to your student, but I can't, I can't violate that other student's privacy. And, you know, being able to maintain that and stay strong with that is, is really important. I think that what we're talking about here also connects to the people principle and, and treating people with respect and, and helping people understand things. One of the things that, that I think ties in really well is in the two people principle resources, you share the video called It's Not About the Nail. And I'll put a link to this in the show notes. So if you haven't seen this, you can go watch it. It is a powerful, powerful video. And can you talk a little bit about the people principle and what that means? I'll start and Anthony join in. You know, we talk about a lot of things in there. And again, we we say this all the time, the, the three most important words in real estate, location, 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 the three most important words in our business, Jethro, relationships, relationships, relationships. It's all about the people. Uh, we are a people profession, a people business, and and that's a good thing. That's a noble thing. And, and I'm glad that I entered this uh, profession where it's all about people and relationships. One other thing I talk about a lot when I talk about the people principle, I, I'll usually ask this question, what's the most important relationship word? And almost always, it's not the first answer I get from the audience. It's, it's the second or third. That word is trust. And I think if you don't have trust as a school leader, you, you don't have a whole lot uh, in terms of the people principle anyway, because people in relationships, it's all about trust, whether it's husband, wife, boyfriend, girlfriend, teacher, student, principal, teacher. We have to have trust back and forth or we're not going to be able to lead others. So I, I kind of share those uh, 10 trust traits in there. But when I think of the people principle, one thing that comes to mind with me all the time is, is trust. And one of those 10 things is actually kind of tough. It says that we address underperformance. Some of the other nine are kind of fun ones, celebrate success and be there and show you care. You know, those are kind of fun things to do. But addressing underperformance isn't all that fun. But the best principles I know do that. And, and some mediocre ones do not. It's, it's, it's difficult. And nobody enjoys it, but the very best principals I know, they address underperformance uh, in their staff. And when they do that, Jethro, I think that, that builds trust and credibility. And you know, it's not a gotcha. It's, you know, depending on every, every situation is unique, how many times we've had to address that underperformance. But it's just doing what you say you're going to do. And if we say this is important in our school, if we say this is a value of our staff, then when we see it not happening, we have to address that. And ultimately, in really unbelievably positive school cultures, over time, the more that the principal and the assistant principal do that, 
all of a sudden other people feel comfortable holding each other accountable. And that's when we've got a really great people culture, in my opinion, where we're honest and vulnerable enough and, and that we hold each other accountable to, to doing what we say we're going to do. So I like to talk about trust a lot when I'm talking about the people principle. Anthony, I don't, I don't know. What, what would you add to that? Well, one of the things I would I would just add is is I think it's important as a principal or assistant principal to to consider that that these are your your people, your staff, and that that you're wanting to take care of them. You're wanting to have things that are in their best interest, and it goes along with like all the things Jeff said. And so one of the the things that I would say if if anybody moving into the role or maybe to reflect on if they are in the role right now is what sort of actions do you do you do or do you take so that people know you you care about them right i mean i, I think sometimes maybe we think that actually you know like at, at a staff meeting announcing you know i'm here for you whatever you need you know that that buys you about 5 minutes right but if you're willing you know if you have a teacher who's got a call from daycare and they've got to run to pick up their kid and you say hey don't worry about anything i'm going to go cover your class and i'll get your kids on the bus you know, like things like that, right? Like being there for people when they need you to be there for them. Like those are the actions that that really buy you credibility with people and really build relationships. So I think it's important that for principals to think that that building relationships uh, and the people principle is really about actions, not really so much about words and it, how they actually behave sort of day to day in their relationships with people. Yeah, I think that's a really powerful sentiment that it's about actions and not necessarily words. Jeff, I want to go back to something that you said about when the school administrator does it, other people feel more comfortable holding other people accountable. And the idea that the principal is the only one who can hold other people accountable is just an exhausting idea. <laughs> you know, I it just makes me feel nauseous thinking that I'm the one who has to go tell everybody when they're not doing something right. Cause that's a, like you said, a really hard thing to do. And like you, you never get good enough at that where you feel like, Oh yeah, this is easy. I like telling people they're doing things awfully. So how do you, once you build that credibility and trust with your people, how do you start encouraging others to make comments when they see something inappropriate? What's the, the best approach you've seen of, of how to, encourage that among staff members? You know, Jethro, one school where I was a principal is a middle school in Georgia. Uh, I think it was my second year as principal there. We we were big uh, PLC fans, and a lot of us had gone to a national PLC institute with Rick and Becky DeFore and Bob Aker. And they talked about, I think Bob Aker was talking about mission, vision, values, goals. And we came back and we really looked at those and tried to make those, you know, breathing, living documents, you know, that we actually acted upon. And most important to us in that process was our five faculty values statements. And we and we decided to kind of capriciously limit it to five. And we took like a, a full day coming up with these five statements. But they started with two powerful words. And those powerful words were, we will. And I, I think our first one is, we will promote and insist on a safe and orderly learning environment. Another one was, we will uh, plan and design and deliver relevant and meaningful lessons each and every day. And our fifth one was we will recognize and celebrate our many successes. And we plastered these things everywhere, but they were for us, the faculty. They were our collective we will statements. And when we came up with these, I remember saying, 
you know, we're going to hold each other accountable for these things. And I'm going to lead the way by asking you to hold me accountable if I'm not doing the things, you know, that that we said we will do. And that uh, the first one, we will insist and promote on a safe and orderly learning environment. Well, when we say that, that could just be something we say, or there could be some action steps behind that where Jeff as the principal is going to be in the cafeteria every single day. And Jeff's going to be in the bus rider line every single afternoon. And Suzanne, the assistant principal is going to be in the car rider line every morning. So, so those are things we said that would help that first we will statement. But we also said that that meant that teachers would be outside their door every day during every passing period. And they would periodically walk in the bathrooms even and monitor the bathrooms when there's misbehavior. So we said those were the action steps behind the we will. And when a teacher wasn't doing that, I'd say, hey, Deborah, remember we said we were going to stand outside our doors and monitor the hallway behavior as part of that we will statement. And and she would say, okay, I'm, I'm sorry, I'll, I'll do that. But then the next day she may say, hey, Jeff, didn't you say you're going to be in the bus rider line every afternoon? And it was just an honest, authentic way to hold each other accountable. And I wanted to be held accountable and I wanted to be able to hold them accountable. So that was one way by having some we will statements that we really adhered to and held each other accountable to. I, I do know Jethro is a teacher, though. I'm embarrassed to say this, but I tell this story. It's a long one. I'll just make it really, really quick. But one year I was teaching high school English and, and there were five teachers up on this one floor. And four of us happened to just by chance, all be people who showed up early and stayed late. And the fifth lady actually was the opposite of that. She she was a nice lady. We considered her a friend, but she always came late and didn't do the hall duty that the four of us did. And, and I just got done saying we considered her a friend. But you know what we did about it? We talked about her behind her back and we complained about her behind her back. And eventually the principal found out and wrote her a note telling her to please be on time from now on. And and I remember she was really upset that morning and she came to us and we all kind of consoled her and said, oh, yeah, that principal, what a mean guy. But then we privately went back to our rooms and said, yes, you know, I'm really glad he held her accountable because we're working too hard for her not to do her part. So I tell that story, A, the principal did the right thing, although he shouldn't have put it in writing. He should have done it face to face. But he built some credibility with us by holding her accountable for doing what we were all doing. But the bad thing of that is what should have really happened for that? What should have really happened is the four of us who claimed to be her friends should have approached her and said, hey, hey, Jackie, you know, can you be on time? We, we could have we could have been more honest and friend friendly, and and she wouldn't have gotten in trouble with the principal. And but our culture wasn't to that point, and we didn't think it was our job to do that. And I just think when we all hold each other accountable for doing what we say we're going to do, our culture is more positive and productive in the end. Yeah, that is that is definitely powerful. Thank you for sharing that story. And like you said before, we learn these things through our own bad steps. And uh, I appreciate you, you sharing that. So I really appreciate your guys time today. And like I said, if you have not gotten this book yet, please do go and get it. You can go to the principledprincipal.com and get all the links to buy it. And that is definitely what I would suggest you do. And also the show notes at transformativeprincipal.org have a link to the it's not about the nail video and other things that we've talked about here today. And in closing, I'd like to ask each of you the last question I ask each of my guests, which is what is one thing that a principal can do this week to be a transformative leader like you? 
I'll go and, and then uh, Jeff can go. I think one of the things that I think any principal can do is that I think they can, can you look around their school and, and look for any ways they can to make their school like a, a happy, more welcoming place, even if it already is. I mean, I was just in a, a, a school the other day and I was walking through and I think it's important for a principal to walk through their school, you know, daily with the mindset of like, if I was a stranger coming into this building, what would my impressions be? How would I feel about this place? What sense would I get from what's on the walls and what I hear coming out of the rooms and what I see on kids' faces? So I think one of the, the, the things somebody can do that's very easy is take a walk around and, and open up, open your mind and open your heart to what is actually happening in your school and, and look for things that you might want to improve and make better. Anthony, I think that's really powerful. And, and, and part of what you were saying was just being super, super visible as a principal in the school. And I think that can transform the school when principals commit themselves to being visible each and every day. And, and again, I know how hard that is. I've been a principal, but I think the best ones, again, prioritize their time and, and make way to be visible. Jethro, I just heard somebody. I'm so embarrassed that I'm not going to remember the name. But I think it, to be a transformative leader, I heard this advice the other day. This leader was saying, it was from the business world, but he said, I'm not trying to be right. I'm trying to do the right thing. And I think that no matter what happens as a school principal, if that's what we're focused on, not trying to be right, but trying to do the right thing, and no matter what, to send the message to every adult who works in the building, no matter what happens, these two things. Let's try to do the right thing and do the very best we can. If we're doing the right thing and doing the very best we can, then we're transforming the school culture. Um, now, that first one, doing the right thing, is kind of interesting because every once in a while, Anthony and I, who have a lot in common and agree on most things, we disagree on what the right thing is, but that's fun too, right? To to talk about why he thinks A is the right thing and I think B is the right thing. But I think, to, you know, it kind of goes back to the stay calm and lead on. No matter what is happening, no matter how hectic and stressful it is, don't try to be right. Try to do the right thing and then just do the very best you can and uh, respect that philosophy towards the work we do. Awesome. Thank you both so much. Um, if you would like to connect with Jeff and Anthony, they're both on Twitter uh, Jeff is at Jeff underscore Zool and Anthony is at McConnell AW. And so you can connect with them both there and they both have blogs as well that I believe are linked on their Twitter profiles. Once again, thank you so much to Anthony and Jeff for being part of the transformative principle. And if you think this has been beneficial, please do share it with somebody who would benefit from it as well. And you can get more information and the show notes and other links to at transformativeprinciple.org. Thank you so much for listening and we'll see you next week. Thank you, Jethro. Thank you, Jethro. Thank you. Do you want to simplify your school's technology? save teachers time, improve students' performance on state assessments? You can do it all, but don't waste another minute. Head straight to IXL.com BE to learn how IXL's research-proven teaching and learning platform can help you achieve all these goals. That's IXL.com BE. There are lots of solutions out there for giving students what they need when they need it. But when do they actually do all of those things? 
you need flexible time. When added into your master schedule, flex time enables students to get extra help or intervention, meet with teachers, make up work, get physical exercise, and try new enrichment offerings. If you're thinking of giving it a try, check out MyFlex Learning, which unlocks the benefits of flexible time without all the headaches you get with it usually. Its intuitive design and SIS integration makes implementation and training a breeze. Make your flex time work for you. Visit myflexlearning.com slash BE to learn more and receive $500 off your first year. That's myflexlearning.com slash BE.